Welcome back, folks. Welcome into another edition of 30 Rack of Sports. It's Monday, 7-11. We're bringing 30 Rack of Sports to you at your convenience. A little bit of your beer convenience store. Ohio Sports and Beer right here on 30 Rack of Sports. Got a big show for for everyone today. Um, off the top, no meathead today. So we'll talk all, actually all the sports. Uh, Zach, unfortunately, a few too many Mad Dog 2020s, a little few too many MDs uh, over the weekend, not able to make it. He's got that dog in him, Greg. He's he got does, that dog in him. He's basically Zach Wilson, which uh, <laughs> we'll cover in our other, our, our other podcast, <laughs> uh, Hot Mormon Mom's Friends today. So very, very check out that podcast. I'd love to see a logo for that. <laughs> You get me. You get me. Have that on my desk by tomorrow morning, please. <laughs> no, but I do. I, I I do love. I feel bad saying it, but I do love these uh, episodes that you and I get because we get to talk the footy, occasionally some ice puck. But today we're talking the footy. Look, if there's a time to not have, I mean, really, it's pretty much any day, because then you'll get some more, you know, intelligent uh, quips, intelligent, you know, information, Analysis. really. But this week especially, there is a huge game on the horizon. Huge. About, about as hot as our studio now, one might say. Oh, man. Well, it, it, it is kind of hot as hell in here. So uh, we get the Derby. The hell is real Derby this Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. At Lower.com Field in Columbus. Uh, the... Orange and blue come in after a, a feisty game, which we'll get into more of. Yeah. Uh, both teams, though, right right in the thick of things. You never would have thought, like, you know, in past years, I mean, Columbus has been very up and down. FC Cincinnati's been, well, down and down. But both teams right there in the playoff push. I think uh, Cincinnati at 26 points right now in the seventh seed. Top, top seven seeds, kind of like the NFL, top seven seeds in each uh, conference get into the playoffs. Uh, Right now, I believe Charlotte and Cincinnati are both at 26 points. Uh, Columbus is at 25, but I believe Charlotte has played, I think it's 20 games. Cincinnati's played 19, and uh, the crew have played 18. It could could all be one less, but I know there's there's a one-game gap between Charlotte and Cincinnati and then Cincinnati and Columbus. So, huge game for both teams, but... Josh, before we get to that, we've got a beer of the week. Oh, beer of the week. That's awesome. Yeah, how do you do that? That's cool. What are we drinking that's great this week? We're staying just outside in the suburbs of Cincinnati, right right near actually where, where Josh and I grew up. We're going to a a brewery that's in a place of note around here, I guess. I mean, uh so we are drinking uh, Hollow Point Hibiscus Ale from Cartridge Brewing. And for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, Cartridge Brewing, and we'll get to that in a second too, as, as Josh kind of flails about as he takes his first sip of that Hibiscus Ale. Uh, Cartridge Brewing um, actually took over what was a long-time... Uh, Powder, well, it was a powder factory. Affectionately known as uh, the powder factory the powder to, factory. to folks that grew up around it. Yeah, uh, I the powder factory closed uh, uh, long before we were born. I think, what, World War II, 50, something like that? About then, uh, a train uh, 
full of gunpowder collided into the gunpowder factory. So it went away. Yeah, so <laughs> Peter's Cartridge Factory uh, was the heart of the Kings Mills area back then. Uh, so it was something that was closed for a while. Uh, most of us grew up knowing it as the Haunted Powder Factory. You'd hear stories about, you know, ghosts and spirits that people might might run across there, yeah. obviously with some of the tragedy that went of, on there. Been part of the, some of those spooky shows on History Channel and what whatever is left of Discovery Channel. Yeah, so, I mean, you could see it from some of the, you know, some of the neighborhoods in the Kings Mills area. If you kind of uh, wandered around, you could see kind of that top of one of the powder factories. And everyone always wondered what was going to happen there. You know, was it going to be knocked down? In comes Cartridge Brewing that, uh, I'm guessing it's kind of the conglomerate that opened it, put in not only the brewery, but also some office space and uh, some apartments in there. So they kind of redid three different parts of the 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 powder factory to make this brewing company and kind of like a little, a little center around it. So uh, cartridge brewing, uh, this is their hollow point hibiscus ale. Um, as we mentioned a little bit, Josh surprised by the color. It's, it, it almost looks like a red wine or like a cranberry juice in the, uh, in our wonderful 30 rack glasses. Yeah. I, if Zach was here, I'd sing the red wine song, but I'll spare everyone. But I was so shocked. I, I don't. I guess I don't know what I was expecting to come out of the can. It's not every day you see a hibiscus ale uh, come in, but so good, so good, Greg. I mean, it's so juicy. It, it is. It's it's almost you know kind of one of those, I guess, kind of like sours where sometimes. The taste almost overtakes like the rest of the beer, and the way I guess hibiscus ales are made, as I found out several minutes ago, um, are is uh, they actually steep the uh, the beer with the hibiscus leaves. So it's almost kind of like a tea process. And we've had some tea beers that got some mixed reviews in the past, so we were a little worried about it. But this is actually it's got uh, I think juicy flavor is the best way to put it. It's still got a little bit of a you know a beer backbone to it, but definitely if you like something sweeter, if you're almost this is almost one of those that would be great if you're kind of uh, more of a sweet tooth, not exactly a beer drinker, and yeah, kind of mixing definitely. over. But man, is this like I mean, obviously we all love our regular beers, but man, is this flavor nice? Yeah, this is really good. Uh, I'll put it out there. This is one of my uh, favorite favorite beers we've had on the show recently. Uh, and there's a nice little note, uh, stick with us for our reciting of the can. There's a great note on this can that I think perfectly describes this beer. Just juicy, packed with flavor, crushable, sweet. And yeah, if you're trying, you know, bringing people out to the brewery that may not be your typical beer drinkers, this is perfect. I mean, a great can, great stuff. Greg, I haven't made it out to Cartridge yet, despite growing up wow. just around the corner. You I know. have not. I have not. Um, oh. But I've heard, I've heard it's an awesome spot, and I've heard they've got great food, too. Oh, yeah, I've been out there. I, I think the first time I went out there was just after it opened. It was like a, uh, I don't know, cold Thursday, Thursday night football. Uh, you know, like tried some of their chili. Very good. I mean, a lot of, you know, sometimes I think around here, you get a lot of kind of the pseudo barbecue places, but it's yeah. not 100% typical food, but it's very, very good. I know I think I had, uh, I think it was some kind of like uh, 
chicken sandwich that had to do with the pretzel or yeah, something I've, I've like that. I've heard there's some chicken sandwich there that is a must-have. Unbelievable. It's yeah. got like the, the beer cheese and everything in it. Uh, but their their hibiscus ale, we're saying not just some of our, I mean, not some of our favorites, also favorites of the judges, this 5.8 ABV for IBU. So if you're looking for something hoppy, maybe <laughs> not quite the thing for you, uh, was the bronze medal winner in the 2021 U.S. Open Beer Championship. For IBU, where did you just read that? That's awesome. Uh, I found they... it on the uh, on the Cartridge Brewing website. Oh, okay, that's fantastic that they actually measured that down to four IBU. But also a great thing. I Greg... mean, if you look at like a like a golden lager, you get twenty. You know, even like your your wheats, you still get ten. Right. I mean, four is about as yeah. low as I've I seen. I don't think anyways. I've ever seen a single digit IBU before. But another thing great about this uh, going down on the Cincinnati area is part of the uh, kind of biker uh, enthusiast environment we have down here in Cincinnati. There's the Crown Cincinnati Trail that has a bunch of breweries on bike trails. Part of that uh, going over near the Little Miami River. Cartridge isn't on the Crown, but if you are doing the kind of like a Little Miami kind of bike trail thing, they are right on the Little Miami bike trail up there in Kings Mills, Monroe area. So I, it's one of those locations that really does have something for everybody. And I think this this beer here is an excellent representation of that. Yeah, and uh, you know, as we mentioned, uh, Cartridge Brewing, great, um, great food, great views because of the local landmark. Yeah. I think it was actually the the bacon beer cheeseburger that I had. Ooh. But also, the one thing that they do have, uh, you know, as we mentioned, sometimes you go with the non beer drinkers. Also, do have your your cocktails. Uh, do have you know your wines and whatnot. So something for everybody yep. there. It's really, I mean, it's a wide open area during the summer they have a nice patio out there it is kind of it's just outside kind of the main road of king's mill so it's a little bit more secluded you get that nice kind of foresty vibe yeah. out there too so i mean it's a great location and i can't have enough nice things to say about cartridge and enough good things to say about this hibiscus ale which is not something that i think both of us upon the poor were kind of questioning but yeah. it's really something good I, like i said it comes out it looks like a red wine or cranberry juice but man it, it tastes delicious greg what's happening to college football what is happening I just, you know, is it the Atlantic Coast Conference or is it just going to be the Coast Conference here soon? Is it the is it the Midwest Premier Conference or is it just an, a conference of America? How many teams does the Big Ten have before it's no longer the Big Ten? That's what I'm saying. Like, our, eventually we have to rename this stuff. We just can't keep we can't keep doing this. Uh, now, if that that whole viral thing about the Great Lakes spilling into the plains and creating another Mediterranean Sea, if that happens, then you could have like a kind of like an east coast west coast thing in the big 10 i i don't know i'm just spitballing off how many ideas do you see a day oh right my now? gosh I so mean, many like, so many i can't keep up with it so uh in case maybe not as plugged into uh college sports or to be quite honest live underneath a rock <laughs> i was gonna say. um been the domination yeah, of, I was of gonna sports say, talk recently. Uh, I mean, so much money behind it too. I was reading today about just 
conferences and schools trying to get out of, I mean, just talking hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars just to get out of deals, let alone make new deals. Yeah, so uh, going back uh, just about two weeks ago, I mean, it, it was a spitfire. I mean, it was like a fever dream. It all happened within probably a day of a news dump. They, you know, there was a, there was a dump, I think it was Thursday, and it was like Thursday morning. USC and UCLA have explored the financial feasibility of joining the Big Ten. In the afternoon, it was like, or like an hour later, it was like strongly considering. Afternoon, it was like have submitted a bid. That evening, it was like unanimously accepted Tomorrow into morning, the Big Ten. Press conference, like, what? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, two of the early members, so like pre World War II, nineteen twenties. Uh, members of the Pacific Coast Conference, which you know kind of turned into the Pac-10 and then Pac-12, uh, USC and UCLA, uh, Los Angeles schools have joined the Big Ten. Which uh, previous, well, previous to that, their furthest west footprint was Lincoln, Nebraska, and previous to that, a couple years earlier, their furthest west uh, footprint was. Iowa City, Iowa. I'm yeah. gonna. I think that's further west than Minnesota. So it's it's west of Centerville. I know that. Thank goodness. This is this is why we have you, geography expert, right, Josh. Um, but man, the fact that they're doing this, and you know, we'll get into more of it with Zach. But man, imagine being like a softball like a soccer player and right. it's like hey we're gonna have to go play rutgers and it's like what that's, we're gonna have to play rutgers on like a wednesday understand. night during the school week? like you know like i guess it happens a little bit during non-con but usually especially not for like you look at i mean heck uc's baseball team to say you know to be an example one of the i would say higher level non-revenue sports you know probably still loses quite a bit of money but they usually like go down to the south for like a couple tournaments because it's too cold, and then they go right. up and pretty much when they're not playing in conference, they're playing like relatively local schools. Yeah, because it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to get that money, and that's what I don't understand about even even on the football side. Now I'll get to that in a second, but yeah, you're telling me that like a swim meet is going to happen between these two schools that like those typically happen like pretty early in the morning. I'm, at least at like the high school level with what I'm familiar with, like swimming meets, you know, and you're going to have these teams traveling across country. What are you going to get, get them on a jet? Or are you going to have them do just regular flights right now with the way that environment is? And <clears throat> Greg, you brought up, you know, non-conference games right now and how they traditionally are played. Usually there's some sort of deal between the two schools, even, even in the lower sports, there's some sort of, you know, home and home series where there's money, there's money behind it. And there's some sort of, you know, funding coming from the schools to get this match played or even the conferences sometimes. I just don't see this, especially with the competition, because I think a lot of this is, you know, you called it, you know, a fever dream. A lot of this is just like, yo, holy shit, what are we going to do now? Like, how do, how do we get on the next boat as soon as possible? Yeah, and I, I mean... You know, obviously, some of the financial implications are crazy, but then you actually look at it from a number standpoint. You look at it. 
these TV deals are bringing in, you know, 20 plus million dollars more a year. And that's just looking at it early based on some of these deals. I mean, UCLA has had, you know, previously in some of the non-revenue sports have been very good. I know, I think gymnastics, there, there are a few random other yeah. ones, but I know they were on the verge due to, you know, COVID, probably some pretty crappy accounting. I know the Under Armour deal kind of fell fell apart spectacularly. So they were very close to having to cut, I think it was upward, like double digits worth of uh, Olympic sports, I guess I would wow. say. So I know that deal really helped them. So that's going to be part of it. But, you know, USC, UCLA, I know USC, you know, you want to be on that bigger stage. Obviously, East Coast, you know, East Coast, Middle America bias when you're, you know, playing so late. But also, man, like, imagine, you know, one, USC having to play, like, a noon game in Maryland. Or imagine, like, heck, you're just, like, a, I don't know, a Penn State fan or something like that. And it's, like, I understand, I guess it happens sometimes during the regular season, but it's, like, a random Wednesday night in February you know, Penn State USC doesn't tip off until 8.30 local time in right. La in Los Angeles. So you're going to have to, you know, you're a regular fan. You're going to have to stay up till 1.30 plus. Yeah, for a conference for a conference game. And you, I mean, best case, they start those games because, you know, they're going to want to get as many people in seats. So it'll be 7 o'clock or something like that. So you're thinking 10 to 11 to later. You know, I've seen Pac-12 games on at 11.30 all the time. Oh, yeah. So... I just don't, and and we're talking about the bad side of a lot of it, and there's sure there are like you know, you know, gymnastics programs, other smaller programs that will benefit from this. But I think of schools like uh, Zach. Zach would hate this example, but I think of schools like Oregon, uh, especially from their football program standpoint. You know, you were in like they were they were basically clinging on to being in the Pac-12, and they had to go to Ohio State. You know, they had to get that non-conference game last year. And that still wasn't enough for them, really. So now you were you were barely barely clinging to significance before, and now the two premier the two other premier schools, I'd argue the two premier schools out there, just up in Sia. So now you know all those schools that were kind of Oregon's that were, you know, have some history, good enough, have a good fan base and everything, but you know as a whole we're clinging to significance. And and we'll get to this more, but I mean, you look across; it's it's led to panic. Uh, right now, the ACC is in this crazy deal till twenty thirty six, grant of rights kind of thing, which people are trying to possibly challenge in court. What'll happen there? And it's basically if right now you're not in the Big Ten or the SEC, you're in a state of flux. The Big Twelve is potentially trying to take some Pac twelve teams, but now the Pac twelve is trying to discuss a TV deal. Do they try to take some Big Twelve teams? What happens? Does the ACC jump? Does the ACC try to take some teams? Does the ACC and the Pac-12 try to do like some sort of merger? And it's just one of those things where college, college, especially college football, is not going to look anything like what it did in you know 2008 no. in the next 10 years. And it's interesting to see if it's it's going to uh, you know turn into its own thing, uh, just like. Um, you know, rodeo or something like that that has its own jurisdiction away from the NCAA, which I found out recently, or that, whether or not it kind of clings and makes this kind of uh, 
Frankenstein of conferences that has a couple mega conferences and really makes no sense. Uh, college rodeo is not something that I had on my radar at all. But, I mean, week one of college football will he- be here before we know it. Week zero, middle of August. I mean, we're only a couple weeks away. Speaking of week one, Greg, week one of the NFL. Oh, whoo, we have a sweet matchup week we, one we, of the NFL. We thought we already had a coming home matchup. Ooh, we had boy. Broncos Seahawks. <laughs> and boy, you know, Russ coming back. I think he's going to Seattle. If that wasn't yeah. juicy enough, just wait for this. Unfortunately, not in Cleveland, in Carolina. It's a shame. Uh, last week, uh, the Browns finally made the trade uh, to the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Baker Mayfield going from Cleveland to Carolina. Uh, I believe Carolina will be taking about $4 million of his salary. Um, Cleveland will take about $10 million. I don't know if he signed off on giving away some of his salary or, or if that goes into some kind of weird bonus pool or something like that. But that's basically how it works out. Uh, right now, it is a fifth-round pick uh, if he plays more than 70% of snaps during the season. Only under contract for this season currently. Uh, it would be upgraded to a fourth-round pick. So that's... Uh, how things stand, as you mentioned, uh, Baker looking like maybe the starter right now on the roster. Uh, the Panthers have now Baker at, they had, uh, Sam Darnold, the number three pick from the 2018 draft, uh, PJ Walker, the XFL standout that got a little bit of time and Matt Corral, who is recovering from a torn ACL. So you wonder about his availability during the year. Um, the third round pick from a Browns standpoint. Uh, of course, Baker wasn't in their plans. Uh, of course the big trade for Deshaun Watson still waiting to, to hear a resolution on that. I believe final paperwork or whatever was supposed to be submitted to the arbiter today. So they said maybe not even by the beginning of training camp. Yeah. Uh, also backups, Jacoby Brissett and Josh Dobbs. So both teams move forward. Baker turns over the keys at First Energy Stadium, moves into, uh, I guess, Bank of America. Um, Thoughts on the trade, Josh? I mean, about time. Yeah, it's about time. Um, My gut tells me it's it's good for Baker. You know, kind of, uh, at least I see the offense, you know, on paper, very similar to the Browns um, in, in in good and bad ways. Uh, I think it's interesting that he's back there with Christian McCaffrey. That's uh, that's quite the bargain in your backfield there, health-wise. Uh, but one thing I found very interesting from a Carolina Panthers perspective, at least, is that he's uh, he's back with uh, Ben McAdoo. Ben McAdoo, the uh, Carolina is he? He's still the OC, isn't he? Oh man, you're asking me about Ben McAdoo, who I, I wish I, I would never have to. I know I don't want to talk about Ben McAdoo, but I'm yeah, yeah, he's yeah, the, he's the OC. Yeah, so for those, uh, Greg, I'm sure you're familiar. Ben McAdoo, uh, not the biggest Baker Mayfield fan. Uh, scathing, going back to the scathing review he got at the draft from Ben McAdoo. And I don't know, there's I, there's some history there, I think, with Baker and uh, coaches that don't necessarily uh, like him. Now that was back at the draft. Like his proved, personality. Proved, proved him... Uh, 
proved himself, I think. It's been, what, five, six, going on six years. Uh, no, this will be his fifth year. Fifth year. So, you know, fifth maybe maybe we're removed from that, but there's definitely some history there, I think, with that. From a Browns perspective, I still don't know what the hell's going on. Uh, yeah, I mean, to get back, I, I think we kind of teased it uh, right after the uh, trade was announced. So... ESPN has been doing a was doing a full court press for the last month of can Baker and the Browns make it work when it seemed like the suspension for Deshaun maybe was creeping towards a year to indefinite, which it kind of seems like it's cooled back since. Yeah. But uh, the question was, could the Browns and Baker make up for a year if Deshaun's not on the roster, make it work? It, it kept everyone kept saying no, no, both sides. Anyone plugged in was no, no, no. So right after he was traded, I, I, I sent to the group, I said, ESPN, could the Browns trade back for Baker if Deshaun is suspended for a year? I didn't, I didn't even bat an eye at that. I was like, oh, could they? <laughs> Will they? Should they? I mean, I just don't... Uh... Look, I'm not to discount Jacoby Brissett. I think he, you know, with some help, could, could put it together. I, I mean, we always... Everyone always forgets. Browns still have a great roster and everything. They're still the favorites in the division. But, you know, aren't they? I, I read somewhere that they're paying like 125 uh, to Baker week one. Like that's that's part of the money they still owe him. 125,000. No, they're like, paying him more than that. I well, think. yeah, based off like we like splitting it up weekly. Yeah, what I, mean. I think they're paying him. Yeah, several thousand. Several like couple hundred thousand i just and i and i don't mean to like per- personally like rag on you here but like i just don't like from from a brown's perspective like i feel like i'd be losing my mind the one thing that like what is i guess my question to you is what is what are you hanging your hat on right now saying this is all going to work out the season's going to be fine so i mean right now i have to be in a wait and see mode with everything going on with with deshaun but everything that's come out about Baker, and, and, you know, obviously there was some stuff coming up with him about both sides, how they mishandled the injury, and I understand that, but it seems like a lot of players that have played with him seem to be, you know, not doing great. And I know there was a story that came out that I guess there was an offensive meeting that Kevin Stefanski wasn't in, and Baker Mayfield was was upset about it. And... I guess he like said something to Stefanski and he's like, Hey, why aren't you in here? You know, you play caller, you should be in here or went through some back channels, I think. And Stefanski was at that time talking to miles Garrett about, you know, he was scathing to the, to the coaching staff about the way some things went, I believe in a week 15 or 16, something like that. That So it's, it's a guy trying to manage the team and then he comes in and, you know, kind of, rips baker in some of these meetings because hey you're gonna call me like if you want me in here like I'll, I'll give you my best and it just seems like several teammates were rubbed the wrong way there were a few guys that said hey you know i came back you know i came back because of this guy i wanted to be here because of this guy and there is a question of you know everybody goes well baker's a great option baker's a great option you can get him for nothing well, if he's a great option, then why aren't people clamoring for them? Right. And why is there all this backlash and stuff like that? And once again, I'm a Baker Mayfield fit. Like, I I hope after week one, 
he plays well. Like I have nothing against Baker, but also it seemed like this relationship went bad enough that it's time to move on. You know, at at this point, it's like, I don't know. It's like, you know, a former friend or something that either really pissed off or you really pissed them off. And it's like, you know what? There are, you know, 7 billion other people to be, you know what? We're just going to move on. And yes, in my ideal scenario, like maybe they don't trade all those picks. Maybe they do a prove it year with Baker. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, then you trade a bunch of those picks and you try to move up high to get a CJ Stroud or a Bryce Young. But this is the situation we're in. I feel like the roster is good enough. I feel like Jacoby can handle things a little bit. and Because I think the thing that people forget about is, you know, he, I mean, he led some Colts teams that were pretty mediocre to, you know, 500 records. And if he can just write the ship and maybe we're in it. And honestly, you know, right now, this, this next year, I, my hopes are always muted for the Browns in a very tough division. So who knows, you know, right around 500 could be where they're at at the end of the year anyways. And it's, you know, you look back at the end of the year and people go, well, Baker did this. Well, Baker, it's like, you know, he had a really good roster around him too. And it's a lot more than that. And the one thing that I've always heard is you look at a lot of these other number one picks, you know, which rather have Joe Burrow or Baker Mayfield. And it's like, they were both number one overall picks. So right. there's a question of when you have that good of a roster, I understand you have to take a big swing, but, but I think this that's, whole situation, think it, this whole situation does seem kind of schmarmy, but right now it's just like, uh, uh, hopefully we don't go in 17. I don't know. Like that's about, you know, I've already been rock bottom. Right. So. But I think that's it though. When you're talking about flipping, flipping the coin, looking at both sides of the coin here is that, yeah, you could have done a prove it year with Baker, but on the other side of that, you, you could have just like stretched that whole relationship in that locker room for another year. The reason to do what we did is because the roster is still as good as it is. Yeah. And you wonder what happens to more people, you know, if, if there was really that much of a, uh, you know, schism in parts of the locker room, there's a bunch of guys that wouldn't say anything. You know, there are a bunch of, you know, I hate, I hate the term pros pro when they, it's like, Oh, this guy doesn't talk or anything because everyone's entitled to talk. But there are some guys that just, you know, their, their mentality being a pro is not talking and maybe would think, you know, Maybe trading Baker Mayfield and signing Deshaun also gives some people a bad look at the Browns organization from a player standpoint, but so does keeping a guy around when you think he could be better and there's obviously been some issues there. And I mean, you know, when you have a roster that good, your your expectations are sky high and you want someone that can get you there, I guess. Honoring the past, brewing the future. Expansive flavor in a crushable pint. Hibiscus paints the target with bright color and loud notes of mixed berry and cranberry. Enjoy crisp tartness and a colorful, flavorful brew that hits the mark round after round. Cartridge brewing. Round after round, I like that. That's a nice nice little tie in there to the brand. But awesome can. 
I know this music put me in like a like a fever dream because it's 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 kind of plain at first look, but like the top of it has you know these uh, it's like a black background with flowers that kind of have that like metallic rainbow color to it. Yeah. And you just kind of you spin the can, and you feel like you're in a little bit of a fever dream over here with this with this music on here. Yeah, it's it's very interesting, but I think perfect for the beer. You're not sure what to expect, but the top of this here with all the flowers and the color and everything, I think that's exactly what it's like. Just hidden in this can is a pack full of color and flavor. Also, I, I do really love the uh, the cartridge brewing logo, the uh, the C with the uh, oh yeah with just a, it basically looks like a bullet hole right under the C. Obviously, got a little shout out to Ohio, which we love on Thirty Rack. Uh, let them. Let them know we're out here in Ohio. We're out here. Uh, but also, it's great because you can, you know, on the powder factory, you have some of those stacks and whatnot. You can put the C on there, and it's very noticeable. You know, just, I think it's just a, it's a sleek look. So, obviously, the can, um, very sleek look. I love that line in there. Hibiscus paints the target with bright color and loud notes of mixed berry and cranberry. That's spot on. That's exactly what this beer is. Yeah, and I think you look at it, you know, uh, as I mentioned, you kind of steep it with the hibiscus leaf. And, you know, there's obviously some fruit flavors that have been added, but you do kind of get that hibiscus smell, and you, you do kind of see that that kind of creates the almost the aura of the beer. You know, when you smell it on the nose and whatnot, you get the big hibiscus. And yeah, then you taste of. it, and you get that heavy tartness with the berry, but also that subtle amount of backbone that you get from your beers yeah the hibiscus kind of ties it all together and i'll say you brought up the backbone i think what sets this apart from sours or you know anything that you'd have you know packed with fruit in it usually a sour gosa or whatever they have that punch up front and then you get the tartness this one has the fruity punch up front but then it still is a beer backbone it's it's kind of i don't know how to describe it the mouthfeel is, is is beer, not Yeah, you still sour. get some weight. It's not just like sour and then almost kind of like a water, you know, not like a watery mixture, but kind of sour and then that's the whole flavor. It's kind yeah. of like cherry, tart, boom, still a beer. Like, I guess if I had to compare it to like, uh, I'm, I'm going Cincinnati breweries here, but if I had to compare it to like a, like a Mad Tree Shade and they're, uh, what is that? Uh, black raspberry it's a black raspberry sea salt tart yep and then you've a very popular one down here and then you've got uh the gadget from urban artifact which is a very very tart sour all and then this beer here the hibiscus ale from cartridge all of them have that same front forward fruity punch up front very flavorful very great all of them finish very differently and i think that's, that's yeah i would what's say so interesting about this beer is it's right in the middle of those two yeah, I would say I would say you know uh, the shade kind of has that very light finish, and then the gadget I think is what like an eight percent yeah. or something. So it definitely has that heavy kind of alcohol finish to it. This one has that heavy finish without too much. I mean, it's it's heavier than your Bud Light. You know, it's yeah well, about six percent, but it's not like you're not drinking like uh, what was it? I saw the the double Oreo beer that we had a while ago that was like eleven percent or like. I mean, hops is real, which was yeah. like 9%. Right. So it doesn't have that heavy alcohol taste. But still, has a nice has a nice overall taste. I don't know if it's a beer that, you know, I, I, 
I, I'm sure we've said it many <laughs> a time, uh, a drinking on the porch beer. Yeah, I don't know if it's a drinking on the porch beer. It does, yeah, uh, it does come in four packs. Well, I don't think you could put, I don't, personally, I don't think I could drink this like all day out in the yeah, hot sun. I, I, I think it's also like the gadget where it's like, you can maybe mix in, you know, mix in one, like, especially to mix it up a little, still a beer. So it's not going to be one of those things, like if you're switching back between like beer and liquor, beer and something else, yeah. you kind of get that fruity mix, but I think it's a little too sweet to be like downing them. You know, it's not like a, uh, Urban has like a key lime, which is more oh, like yeah. a beer with a little bit of lime to it. This is like a, it's a good mix up beer. You know what I mean? Like. Maybe yeah, maybe have different. a yeah. Also, kind of cl- reset the palate a little bit. You know, maybe have a dark beer, have one of these, and then have a wheat or something like that. And it's just, it's a, it's kind of a nice mix-in beer. Josh, as we mentioned, coming in to the show. This Sunday, it's real. It's real. The fire's going to rain down. People were wondering whether this show was going to end up in its fire rate. Oh, I'm sorry. No, wait. (laughs) People were wondering whether soccer was really going to go to hell. And I know a lot of American football fans have been hoping for it. But here we just find out whether or not hell is real. The hell is real derby. The biggest biggest soccer match. Uh... In the state of Ohio, I would say potentially the biggest hell is real derby since FC Cincinnati has existed. I was I was wondering that because you know when you when you look back at all the past matchups, especially the ones uh, the MLS ones, definitely since they moved to ML. Yeah. I would say the only one that I could think of that would be close was that what was it a U.S. Open quarterfinal. Yeah, there was there were we've had some good quarterfinals. I think we've had two good quarterfinals, or what, or maybe a second round in the Open Cup, and then there was that MLS game up in Columbus at Old Crew Stadium that was like four to two to two or four something. It was oh yeah, pandemonium. Yeah. But that one was that one that, didn't that quite was, have the stakes. Yeah, it more was just because of the the, the game the itself. Play. Yeah, but this one, yeah, when you talk about stakes, I can't ever remember a hell is real derby where you look at the table. And Cincinnati and Columbus are right by each other. And in this, I think what's interesting from an FC Cincinnati standpoint is that both of these teams are right on the bubble of the playoff. And Columbus, while they, you know, up and down roller coaster a bit the past two years, they definitely have the staff and the know-how and the history, successful history of figuring it out. FC Cincinnati do not... And so I think when you look at, especially when we talk about the past week of FC Cincinnati, they've been playing the top of the table, basically their last four to five games, haven't haven't got only got the three points once, but haven't haven't lost. Can they get over? I think everyone's looking at FC Cincinnati. Can they get over that? Can they can they show they're for real and everything? Well, Columbus, well, I think this could be the turning point of their season. Well, I was going to say for for Columbus more than what it's been since since really they won that championship and even that kind of you know in the years around it they've had spurts where they've been good but it's been a little bit of good with a lot of tough you know they started out the season very well but like you take a look i mean april 30th they won three nothing but aside of that out of those six games they took one point before that you know you look in 
May, they were, uh, you know, one draw, two losses. So since the end of May, you know, they haven't lost. They've, what, won three times and drawn three times. And it's kind of been one of those things where it's like, you know, I think we talked about them a couple of weeks ago on our show. They were in, you know, 11th or 12th trying to get back on, on yeah. pace against uh, Toronto. Beat Toronto, tied Philadelphia, had a huge comeback win against uh, Chicago. And it's a chance to kind of actually get things going in the right direction. Where you look at FC Cincinnati and, you know, they started off kind of slow. Had an awesome April where I think they went undefeated. And then went through some of those, you know like four, three losses, some, some tough ties where they kind of gave up some goals. And then I've gotten to this point where they're playing good, but they're not quite getting all the results they're hoping for. Obviously the, yeah. I mean, two wild games we can talk about from the last weekend, that yeah. Chicago Columbus game. And then, uh, the, the New York, uh, FC Cincinnati game where we're also interested to see if there's both, any, both uh, of the New York, FC Cincinnati games. I mean, it's just been, yeah. I mean, you're talking, you're talking about the Red Bulls game most recently where FC Cincinnati had the two red cards. There was all sorts of, uh, shenanigans we'll say, but you Tom look at, Foolery. yeah, Tom Foolery. You look at their past, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven matches. Six of them have been against the top clubs in the conference and they have not, they have not lost. Um, or excuse me, their their last the, the first of those games against New England was their only loss, one of those tough, you know, three to two losses and everything. But even that game, they battled. I mean, through all the way to the end, some of these games have just been absolutely. And then yeah, the four to three loss to Montreal after that. But after that, you know, the past five games unbeaten, both of those new the game against New York City FC, the defending champions, took them four to four. I mean, every time, but that's another one of those games. I'm getting off track here. That's another one of those games there that they were up 3-0 at halftime. Or they could have been up 3-0 at halftime, and then they let up three goals. Yeah, they were up. 45th minute on. Yeah, they were up 44 minutes, which uh, those of you uh, not big soccer heads, uh, usually 45 minutes plus extra time is how long is in the uh, standard half of soccer. Uh 44-0-0 hit. Uh, FC Cincinnati was up 3-0. Then gives up a goal in the 45th minute. Uh, the 45th plus 2 minute. And the 45th plus 7 minute. But did show, you know, the ability to get back into it. Actually fell behind just after halftime. And then yeah. were able to at least salvage a point out of a uh, little bit of a wild one. And yeah. that, I mean, that heck, that even includes, you know, they were up three nothing, had saved a penalty at that point too. Oh yeah, and, and then, that's and that's the thing that I think is frustrating from a fan standpoint is that you've had some great, great rookie goalkeeping, especially off penalties, but then you've also had, you know, kind of the old FC Cincinnati where you know you're up, that should be you're up against the defending champions, but you let up four goals within the in and out of halftime what with uh, that uh fourth goal was the 52nd minute and then yeah the three goals before halftime the 44th I mean so within so within technically seven minutes well right seven minutes of play as the clock showed you and know 45 old, 45 45 
52. That kind of old leaf of like old game management that you used to that you used to you're used to seeing from FC Cincinnati. And while they have had good defending and they've had had great goalkeeping from the rookies and everything, they've still conceded six penalties this season. That's two more than any of any other side in MLS. Uh, that's and uh, opponents are four for six from the spot this season from FC Cincinnati. I think the thing that you want to see from as as we look as we look towards hell is real and everything. I think the thing that you want to see from them most of all is game management. And I, I cannot remember which head coach used to say this. There's been so many. I'm sorry, <laughs> but someone used to always Mr. talk Kling. about. Someone used to. T- I think it was him. Game manage the moments, or it might have been Alan Koch back from the USL days. Is manage the moments, and I feel like in that New York City game, the, there was not good managing of the moments. The Red Bulls game, there was not good managing. As look, we can talk about the bull, bullshit officiating as as much as we want. There were some flops, terrible flops, terrible you know handling of those PKs. But it still happened, and it still got out of control. And they, if you're going to you know, go against these clubs, these top-tier clubs, game after game after game in the stretch they just had, you have got to have some sort of composure, some sort of game management. And I think Chris Albright, GM, has brought in the right people to do that. Pat Noonan, the head coach, has done a wonderful job at that. And I think what I'm interested to see Sunday is if we get to see their newest acquisition, Sergio Santos, uh, up there with quite the interesting attack from Cincinnati and how Columbus handles that. Yeah, and I think, I, I mean, I think kind of describing the, the craziness at the end of that game almost describes, you know, a lot of how FC Cincinnati plays. You know, you, like you said, there was a 4-4 tie. I mean, you look back, you know, three goals, four goals, you know, very few one nothing games. And then you look at you know you look at a Columbus team that seems like all they you know they had a they had a number of nil nil ties you know a number of one nothing games and they've almost kind of been stagnant to that degree where you know if if Zilla Ryan is not uh, creating for other guys you you've definitely seen things like that happen as we mentioned uh, I think two two weeks ago uh, Chucho Hernandez the new acquisition. Uh, Watford player, $10 million to get him over. From uh, Played in the Premier League last year, so knows what he's doing. That was a club record signing, wasn't it? Yeah, club record signing. So against, I mean, Chicago, you know, you look at a game where they get some get some uh, chances early, you know, a couple set pieces, really don't get a whole lot to go. Um, and then once again against the Chicago team that's not playing great near the bottom of the East, but they were able to get a couple of uh, almost back-to-back, you know, within 10-minute goals, you know, 20th, 30th minute to take a lead. And then you're kind of worried, you know, Columbus looks kind of slogging in the ground. Zilla Ryan's doing a lot, but there's not a whole lot from the wings. On comes, you know, Derek Etienne and, uh, you know, Luis Diaz, who comes in, and they kind of help to run the side, you move Santos back, you get, you know, Etienne on the side, and then finally some width. You're kind of running this, they've been running this 3-5-2, which is, you know, two guys up front, five in this middle area, and then three back. But really, the only guys you have running the sides are those, 
you know, kind of two edges of the five. So if they don't get up and back very well, then you don't have the width that you need. Yeah, it can be tough. So finally they get some, you know, some ability, some some running out of those guys on the on the sides. I think Zella Ryan, who, you know, is playing up top basically now, uh, was able to still find both those guys and they get Etienne in for two, you know, nice finishes, but two goals set up, one by getting some width on the outside, and two, having the guy that can set up your goals set up goals. But also you get, you know, midway through the second half, you finally get that record signing Chucho Hernandez in. You see what happens. On a break, he gets ahead of everyone. He's obviously one of the best players on the field. Gets to him, get, gets beyond the defense. Class finish, you know, past a, a pretty good goalkeeper that Chicago has and, and makes it three to two. And you finally see that firepower that kind of, you know, you're expecting. You know, you get, you have the Etienne's, you have the Zeller Ryan's, and now you have the Chucho Hernandez. And it seems like some of those one nothing losses can turn into. 2-1 wins, 3-1 wins. Yeah. You know, really putting pressure on the other teams instead of just kind of slogging it out for 90 minutes. Well, and I love what you said about how Zellerans kind of had to play up front a lot and how much that's taken away from the team as gifted as a playmaker as he is when you have, you know, your 10 is is basically your attack. Yeah. Then there's there's not a whole lot going on and I think that's the biggest thing that you've seen with FC Cincinnati. Lucho Acosta leads the league right now in assists. And I think when now that you've had uh, Vasquez come into his own, um, seeing offers from a couple national teams, um, and you've got Brenner, who's finally come, finally come on a little bit. Uh, yeah, one of the record signings for FC Cincinnati, who it sounded like, you know, during this transfer window, or maybe, yeah, during this transfer window was potentially on his way out, but seems to have finally right. found a role that has, you know, obviously, you know, uh, a hat trick will, will help you feel a lot better. Definitely. But. I mean, and and now that you've got uh, the acquisition of Sergio Santos, you know, you have plenty of confident striking depth and attack depth. And when you talk about the Columbus wingers and everything, once you have the depth up there and you give that gifted playmaker that you have, the space and the time and, you know, the correct personnel, quite frankly, to uh, create with, then that's when you see these clubs at their best. And that's why I think, uh, obviously, Lucho Acasso will sit out Wednesday now after picking up the red card in the game this uh, past weekend, but should be available uh, Sunday come hell is real time. I just think it's so interesting to see what trends actually play out here and who stays true to their trends. Columbus, like you said, so many nil-nil, one-nil games. Columbus still has, uh, I believe, a third best, second best uh, defense when you look at uh, goals allowed. They've allowed the second least uh, 20, only second to Philadelphia's amazing 13 goals allowed. Cincinnati, as as good as their defending has gotten, uh, Nick Haglund come miles and miles away from when we first acquired him, our Young goalkeeping staff is doing fantastic, but still Cincinnati is allowing the uh, six most goals in the league at 33. It's better than being on a record pace. So, yeah, it's better. It's better, but it's, you know, who's going to make the jump? You know, I think that's if you were to give me like two things to watch, which team is going to stick true to their trends and which team is going to break out of their trends finally. 
and show you they're for real. Well, and, and the other question is, you know, who's going to be able to rebound? I mean, obviously, both had, you know, some pretty emotional games. Uh, you know, the crew with the big comeback, FC Cincinnati, obviously, with some of the red cards. And then, you know, something that, because you don't have the condensed season like you've had in past years, one of the few midweek games that both teams have, you know, uh, Columbus going to D.C. and, uh, you know, FC Cincinnati staying at home. But you basically have, you know, three days off game, three days off another game. So you have kind of a an interesting kind of spot in the middle where you wonder how both teams handle that and then kind of getting back up for the second game. So you wonder, one, about tired legs, two, about where emotions are at, especially depending on what happens, you know, Wednesday for both teams. And then, you know, to a degree, what's going to be, you know, what's going to be going on in Columbus? Because obviously home field is big, but both teams have, you know, pretty big followings. And obviously it's going to be raucous in there. So, oh, yeah. you know, and the, especially this year with both teams, you know, playing pretty well coming into the coming into the game. Yeah, and I think that's the one thing, like we started the segment off with talking about how big this match is. I think for both both clubs, this is the first, you know, regular season MLS league matchup that we've had where there's some real significance to it. You know, by the end of the week, we could see Cincinnati down two spots out of right where, right where the crew was, right, literally right where the crew was two weeks ago, you know, we could see a huge flip-flop here. And I think what we forget, especially to tell you know you listeners and everything that may not follow the MLS and everything, East is tight, man. Like, East, the Eastern Conference, there is no, other than maybe New York City FC, maybe Philadelphia, but, like, when you look at points and you look at the table, there is no clear runaway. It is wide open from top to almost bottom. So... Not only does every game matter here, I mean, when you are sitting at the bubble of the table right now, the playoff spot, it's huge in the Eastern Conference right now. Yeah, and I mean, you look at, you know, both these, both these teams playing each other, you know, uh, what? They played nine, eight matches in, in Major League Soccer. Uh, the first two were in, you know, uh, FC Cincinnati's first year, which was big, but, you know, not huge because of where they were last year. You know, all all the games in between, they didn't really, you know, I think what one game had 1,500 people at it, but most of them had a, a you know, a attendance of zero because of the, all the COVID stuff in 2020. Finally, in 2021, you get them. But once again, they're both July and August like this year. Both teams kind of out of it. So you don't get that same kind of bite to it. This is really the first time in MLS both teams are playing reasonably well with a full crowd in these two stadiums. And, you know, you have this game and you have the next game. And I think, you know, it'll be interesting. Both both teams are pretty, you know, high energy. I, I would say FC Cincinnati is a little bit more high energy, but, you know, Columbus is a little bit more veteran. They've, they've been through Definitely. some more of it. But, man, you get everybody on the field together, you don't know what's going to happen. I, I expect it to be a highly emotional, you know, Pretty solid game. Yeah, altogether. If you're looking for entertainment, I, I definitely think this one is going to be. Prob. I don't know. I, I'd say it's probably going to be the most entertaining MLS matchup we've had between the two clubs. Just 
with just based off of the two weeks we've had, like you said, both teams reeling off emotions right now. Both teams really need this. And let's not forget, Greg, nationally televised game. I'm pretty sure the only one uh, for FC Cincinnati, but this will be on uh, uh, Fox Sports Fox Sports 1 Sunday evening. So huge, huge matchup. Spotlight's going to be on Ohio, man. And hey, if you're looking for goals, I mean, just to back yeah. it up, every... Um, Every MLS game with, you know, full or near full capacity, you know, 20,000 fans or I guess 19,000 fans or more uh, between the teams. So that's for two in 2019, two in 2021. All four of those games have had at least four goals. Two. One of them, five goals. So, you know, if you're looking for some goals, you're looking for some entertainment. I know soccer's boring, but if you're looking for some entertainment, Probably going to see some emotions, probably some pushing and shoving, probably some goals and, and uh, a great environment. So I, I'm excited for this Hell is Real Derby, and we will get to our picks in oh, a yeah. little bit. But yeah, we got should our be an exciting. I think both of us have our pick down that this will be an exciting game with some goals in it. Yeah, that's all I really care about. But yeah, follow us on 30, uh, on, on 30, at 30 Rack of Sports on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and the TikTok now for our Who You Got coming out later this week. Cincinnati and Columbus on Sunday. Some of our older u- users are just, you know, typing in Twitter on 30 Tw- Rack. Twitter, Twitter.com. Twitter.org. 3030. 30. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another edition of 30 Rack of Sports. Got a real exciting one coming to you this weekend. Columbus, Cincinnati. Hell is real derby. Ready for it. Um, Guys, we want to finish the show as we always do. Uh, Cheersing. It's people that need some cheers. I feel like first we got to... We got to pour one out for our guy that couldn't be here. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. Zach, as we mentioned, uh, didn't get to enjoy this hibiscus ale. And that's really what I feel bad for him about. Um, so he should be back unless, you know, he, he keeps on, you know, chugging the MD 2020s on uh, on Sunday night. That dog. Uh, should be back next week on 30 Rack. So uh, shouts to Zach. Hopefully his... I don't know. Hopefully he sounds better. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but hopefully his nasally voice sounds better. I also want to shout out to Cartridge Brewing in Kings Mills, Ohio. Um, A fantastic surprise of a beer. I will, I will say there are some times where we, where we go into beers and we're like, you know, your standard IPA. It's like, ah, this is, you know, this will be a little bit better of an IPA or a little bit not as good of an IPA. Sometimes they're a little bit weird and you're like, all right, like, Maybe it's a fun little gimmick yeah, some, beer. Sometimes you go into it like, okay, this is going to be a weird beer. I just got to get into it. It's going to be weird. And, I mean, usually it's, it's at bare minimum, it's good. This one, I was just like, okay, a hibiscus ale. I don't know what this is going to be like. Oh, it's really red. Ugh. Yeah, normal, oh, man, it's really good. Normally, it's like, you know, it's like, the, it's like maybe an IPA with something in it that you're just like, oh, this is normal IPA, and it kind of blows you away. You know, a couple sure. of the really yeah. good beers, or it's like a wheat or something that we've had that really blows you away. But this one, it was like hibiscus beer. You're like, ah, red. And I'm like, steeped with hibiscus. I was like, I don't know about this. But once again, shout out to them. 
No wonder it got a uh, bronze medal in That's the right. U.S. Open. If you were in the Kings Mills area, area, I cannot, you know, recommend it enough. Uh, Cartridge Brewing, really good food, really cool area, like to, you know, sit outside or even just pulling into the parking lot there. And, uh, you know, really good beer. So, got what else could you need? What else could you need? Nothing. Where are you going to go? Sorry. Oh, no. We didn't talk Reds today. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, unfortunately, we didn't get to talk about Brandon Drury's uh, uh, yeah. All-Star we'll, snub. We'll, but, have to, uh, we'll have to plug that in sometime. Maybe he's your shout-out. Josh, we're going to end the show with our own personal shout-outs. Who are you shouting out on this fine Monday night? He was not my shout-out, unfortunately. I've been meaning to do this shout-out for a while, but I wanted to shout-out uh, our listeners and my co-hosts. Greg and Zach, uh, for those that might not know this, I have gotten a new job in the brewing industry here in Ohio, and I basically get to make videos of beer uh, for a local brewery here, and that is... Sounds very different than what you do here. That is, yeah, that is what I uh, do here on the podcast, and so it was very much a moment of getting to uh, take my hobby and make it my work, and I feel like I owe a lot of that to the people that regularly listen to this show, the two guys that do the show with me all the time, and all the listeners and watchers that watch all this stuff and have hung with us. He's taking his talents to South Beach, I super appreciate you. Taking my talents to South Beach and then to uh, and then back to Cleveland and then to L.A. and then back to wherever my son is. No, oh, that's pretty fair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, do you have another announcement? What are we doing? Back to where my other podcast is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, so, uh, first off, I mean, obviously, shout out to all the All Stars. Um, you know, Castillo, uh, nice to see. Obviously, Andres Jimenez. Just to do, I'll, I'll do the Zach shout out. Andre Jimenez. You're talking about Zach here. Uh, the second baseman. When are we going to start calling? Stop calling it the Francisco Lindor trade and start calling it the uh, Andres Jimenez trade. I mean, second baseman hitting super well. Well deserved All Star. Couple of guards on the team. Yeah, a couple. Second and third base. You know, Emmanuel Classe. Uh, part of that Corey Kluber heist. <laughs> uh on the team so uh you know shouts to the guards uh, making their way representing ohio yeah unlike repre- some baseball Ooh. organizations hey got the sweep over the weekend yeah that was weird that was weird i turned off i turned off the one game because they were giving up like 12 runs in the eighth inning and then they came back and they won i, I looked around confused. like all night for my broom couldn't find it haven't used it in a while i was gonna say normally people are sweeping you up so <laughs> uh uh, my shout-out comes to actually someone that has done what people might think are the unthinkable. Uh, actually won a championship for a professional sports team in Ohio. But that's actually not what I'm cheersing him for. My cheers is to uh, former NBA champion Richard Jefferson, who uh, <laughs> was part of that 2016 Cavs world championship team. Uh, Jefferson, now an analyst for ESPN, I was doing something really cool that, you know, not I don't think a whole lot of players would, would be up for, even former players. Uh, so he went to, I believe it was some summits for the uh, NBA referees, sat in for a couple days. A summit he, or a summons? All the above. Okay. I believe it was a summit or some sort of meeting at Summer League, you know, to 
probably train the new generation, get a you know a refresh for for the old heads. But he was part of that learning, and uh, it will be last night as you guys are listening. But uh, Monday night at 11 p.m. Eastern uh, in the Knicks Trailblazers game, uh, Richard Jefferson will actually be the referee for just the second quarter, which I don't really understand, but will be one of the referees on the floor for just the second quarter, giving him a unique perspective as a player, an analyst, and a referee. And he said, you know, look, it gives me an opportunity to look at the game a different way. It gives me a chance to kind of understand the game, you know, feel the... Obviously, I mean, Summer League means a bunch for a bunch of people, but, you know, as far as the public perception, not a whole, you know, doesn't mean a bunch. Yeah. But it gives you a whole different perspective, and I, I give them all the shouts in the world. I mean, you know, imagine... The one thing that you always find out, and I don't know, have you done any sort of umpiring or refereeing? Oh, yeah. Okay. So have I. You never quite realize how different it is. And I would imagine it's, you know, 10 times crazier. You know, I got up to like sixth grade umpiring and I was like, I'm way in over my head. Uh, you get to that level and you get to do it and it gives you such a unique perspective and it's kind of a humbling experience that I, I kind of wish more people would do it because you look at like the umpiring shortage and whatnot, you know. Right refereeing shortage and you're like it's nice to kind of see especially someone on that big of a stage going to the other side and realizing that as much as we hate on refs and as not great as some of them are it's a really tough job so oh yeah i shout, mean shout out to rj for doing that that that's just such a different different thing you don't you don't hear about that hardly ever i feel like uh and i think yeah that's that's great perspective, different perspective. I think more people should, more leagues should start doing that. You're more likely to see Will Ferrell play in a spring training game yeah. than you are to see a former NBA. I mean, I'm I know he played in the finals a bunch of time. I, I'm guessing he has an all-star appearance, probably at least former, you know, ten plus year NBA vet referee a game. Right. You know, sometimes these guys, you know, sometimes these guys. Hey, I played in college or whatever. Maybe you get a cup of coffee or something somewhere. But to see someone at this level do it, very, very cool. So shout out to RJ. And then also, of course, shout out to those 2016 Cavaliers since we're talking about LeBron and RJ. Sure, 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 sure. And sure, also, sure, sure. shout out to the listeners once again. Shout out to Cartridge Brewing. We will be back Monday for another episode, another wonderful brewery. And hopefully... Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do have one more Monday. That, yeah, we have yeah. one more Monday. One more Monday. Before 30 Rack hits the road. Maybe we'll get to that a little bit more in our next episode. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I want to sh- thank everyone again for listening. Uh, for Zach. Oh, hey. Oh, hi. I'm Josh. For Josh. Hey. On the ones going? and twos. For and Greg over here. Weird kind of sound ins. I'm Greg. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of 30 Racket Sports. Peace. Yeah, we'll we'll